I was uh, uh, thankful to uh, see so many friendly faces in the church uh, today, and I had the opportunity to meet Mary. There she is. And uh, she shared with me some uh, uh, brochures about WHAZ. Actually, I was listening to WHAZ on the way up here, and there was an enthusiastic speaker, and I thought, I'd like to be able to preach like him. And uh, he was telling the story of a Sunday school class where... uh, the teacher asked the class a question. So she asked the class, what is gray and uh, kind of woolly and runs up and down trees and eats nuts? And a little boy in the back of the class said, Jesus! (laughs) And she said, no, now listen to the question. What is gray, fuzzy, runs up and down trees and eats nuts? And the boy said, Jesus. And she said, now be quiet in the back there. I'm asking the class a serious question. What is gray, runs up and down trees, and eats nuts? And he said, Jesus. So she said, that's it. You've been disrespectful. I'm going to get your father. She went into her father's class, brought the boy out in the uh, hallway, and uh, dad says to him, now you're a good boy, Johnny. Uh, why were you disrespectful in class? He said, Dad, I I wasn't disrespectful. I know it was a squirrel. But she was supposed to be talking about Jesus. (laughs) And, And that's why I've come here tonight, to talk to you about Jesus. We've been in a series in our church... Uh, that uh, has to do with the claims of Christ from the Gospel of John. And uh, months ago, I was sitting down and kind of putting together the weekly outline for seven weeks of preaching, and I asked my youth pastors to speak tomorrow. And um, uh, one of our associate pastors, part-time associate pastor, spoke uh, last week. That means I'm not speaking for two weeks. I didn't like that too much. And... um, Uh, Last week, our associate pastor spoke on the triumphant entry, and I said, I want to speak on that. These aren't his notes, these are my notes today, but but it's been really a thrill to talk about the claims of Christ in the Gospel of John, to be able to talk about Jesus. There's much in these pages of Scripture we have to talk about, but most of all, we need to talk about Jesus. And uh, in... In John chapter 12, we're looking tonight for uh, the passage in the Gospel of John that talks about the triumphant entry, where Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, on the foal of an ass, and they all come out and welcome him and uh, say, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. We're going to begin by reading this scripture in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. It says, The next day a great multitude had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, 
Then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew in turn, and in turn Andrew said, uh, and Philip told Jesus, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man might be glorified. Now let's look also at verse 37. Although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. It's a humbling privilege to be able to share with you the message of Jesus. I am so thankful that God has given me this privilege for these years. And when we come to this passage, we're beginning a passage in the Gospel of John that describes for us the week of passion, we call it. The Passover week. We know how it begins here in this passage, and we know how it ends. And everything that Jesus has done heretofore, everything that he has said and done, has uh, been to bring the city of Jerusalem to this climactic time. And this week of passion is surrounded by bookends, so to speak. Bookends of responses to Jesus. Jesus comes to the city of Jerusalem and His message for Jerusalem is, it's time to decide. It's a time of decision. It's time for you to make a decision. Are you with me or against me? Are you for me or are you opposing me? And the beginning of the week begins with these these voices that cry out. The voice of the people cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They were hailing him as their king and uh, worshiping him and praising him for all that they had seen him do and all they had heard him say. But on the other end of this week of passion, there is another crowd at the end of the week that cries out as a mob, Crucify him! Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. You see, God has drawn the city of Jerusalem to a place of decision. And that's exactly where they're supposed to be. There were many people in these earlier chapters of the Gospel of John that were called by Jesus to decide, to believe. There were the early disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist stood with them and pointed to Jesus 
and said so clearly, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Would they follow him? Would they walk in his steps? Would they become his disciples? There were those who were at the wedding of Canaan who had drunk from the water that Jesus had turned to wine. What a miracle Jesus did in their very midst. And the scripture says of them, many believed in his name. And you know when it says many, that means there were some who did not. Some decided with Jesus and some decided against him. There was a man of high standing. His name was Nicodemus. And he came by night to inquire of Jesus. And Jesus stood face to face with this learned Pharisee, perhaps one of the Sanhedrin, and said, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. It's time, Nicodemus, for you to decide. There was the Samaritan woman, and Jesus met her at the well and promised her living water and told her everything that she had ever done. And she said to Jesus, I know the Messiah comes, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I, who speak unto you, am he. She had to decide. Was this the Messiah? Was this the fulfillment of the prophetic word? Had the Savior come? Would she believe in him? Or would she turn away? You see, Jesus walked in their towns. And he walks in our town today. He's here tonight. By the presence of the Holy Spirit, he is here among us. And he is calling us to decide about him. John chapter 1 and verse 12, you're so very familiar with. As many as received him... To them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. Jesus says, it's time you decide about me. First of all, I'd like to say about that, that we can thank God for a time of decision, for it is a gift of grace. Uh, Chris was mentioning about the little invitations for Easter that were passed out. I came to Christ through just such a card. It probably wasn't as fancy as that one was. Actually, it was a three-by-five file card that was printed in black and white with a picture of the preacher and an invitation to go to a revival meeting at uh, a church in New Jersey. I wasn't a Baptist. I wasn't a Christian. I had never heard John 3.16. I... I didn't have my own Bible. I knew nothing about the gospel. And one day I walked into a store somewhat like Stewart's and picked up a card and said, maybe I'll go. But you know, it was the Holy Spirit that was prodding me. And I had to search around a little bit to find this church plant that was meeting in the uh, auditorium of a grammar school. I finally found it, went to the church, heard the gospel, and heard an invitation that said, if you don't know that you're going to heaven, and you'd like to know, 
would like to show you how you can be sure you're going to heaven. Leave your seat and come forward. And I, I don't believe I did that. I was kind of a really shy young man. But I walked down the aisle. Someone took me to a broom closet. And uh, <laughs> you had to use what you had, right? And showed me from the scripture how Jesus Christ would forgive my sin and give me everlasting life. And I said yes. And like the lights came on, right? <laughs> like it was a new life. Uh, and uh, God did a wonderful work in my life. Thank God for uh, the time of decision because it's a gift of grace. There was hardly a soul in Jerusalem who hadn't heard of Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus had just spoken the words, Lazarus, come forth, and this man who had been dead for four days and in the tomb came out of his grave hopping out, and he was alive. I mean, news spread fast. They had media back then. It was, it was the ladies. <laughs> wow, look what's taking place in Jerusalem. But I believe there were people that lived in the very city of Jerusalem that perhaps were preoccupied and had not heard. Perhaps a shepherd was out in his field or, or perhaps a merchant was too busy with his shipments from uh, out of the country or, or perhaps someone was confined or ill. How wretched it would be to have Jesus come to town and you miss him. No offer of grace. No evidence to examine. No call of God tugging up upon your heart. It's a gift of God that God comes to our town, to our lives, and offers us an opportunity to make a decision to follow him. Now, I was coming up this road that the street is on and, and looking up on the hill and still seeing the, the snow uh, up on uh, West Mountain. Are they still skiing? I, I imagine. No, they're not skiing anymore. That ruined my illustration, you know. I was, hoping, I was hoping to say there's lots of people around us. And maybe tomorrow morning when we're preaching or tonight they're at the home improvement store, picking up materials for uh, something they need to do around the house now that spring has come. Maybe they're at Lowe's. Maybe they're sitting at home reading the weekend paper. Maybe they're skiing on West Mountain, but maybe not. Maybe they're, maybe they're taking a golf lesson. That's what I would be doing, probably, if I wasn't here. They're unaware of the opportunity that's theirs. They're unaware of the presentation that's being made in this church and so many churches. That Jesus will change your life. He will give you new life and abundant life. Life that you couldn't imagine. It's a gift of God to have God bring you to a place of decision. Sometimes the day of decision is rather heart-wrenching. 
there's a choice we have to make. There's something we have to leave behind if we are to follow Jesus. There's a tug of war, perhaps, that wearies our soul. But thank God he has brought you to this point. Thank God you have a choice to make. Thank God he has opened your eyes to see him and to know his message. Follow or no, that's the choice we have to make. Everyone is called to follow Jesus, but some have not heard. And we should, be, we should be burdened for those who have not yet heard the message. We should want to get them here on Easter Sunday, even if it means that I have to stand in the back. Think of the blind man, John chapter 9. Are you familiar with that story? Think of the man that Jesus made to see. He was a man who was blind from birth. Later on in the story, the scripture says that it's not known that anyone has ever been made to see that was blind from birth. Jesus came by his way, and Jesus mixed some of the dust of the ground with his spittle and put it on his eyes and sent them away to go uh, wash in the pool. And... Then this man was kind of drawn in the middle of a big controversy. It was a miracle. He was made to see. I'm sure his parents rejoiced at the great miracle that had taken place. But the Pharisees were unhappy that this man had been made to see by Jesus. Because they had said, if anyone follows Jesus, he's going to be put out of the synagogue. So suddenly this man is brought before the court, right? Okay, you tell us what you think. Is this man, Jesus, the Messiah, or is he an imposter? Is he the Savior, or is he a sinner? And she, the, the blind man said, well, I'm not a theologian, but one thing I do know, once I was blind, and now I see. But you know, this man's eyes were not completely opened yet. In the flesh he could see, but he hadn't come to a place where his heart was made to see and understand Jesus. A little later on, Jesus comes to the man and he asks him this question. Do you believe in the Son of God? And here's his answer. He was a man, by the grace of God, that heard the question and by the grace of God was able to give the right answer. This man decided. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That's what I did so many years ago. 1971, actually, telling my age. October 4th, 1971. Now, I, I didn't know the date at the time. I had to kind of look at my calendar with my girlfriend, who's now my wife of 40 years, and figure out, calculate what day it was on a Monday night that I accepted the Lord as my Savior. But came to the place of decision and said like the blind man, Lord, I believe, and I worshiped him. 
Now, if you're in the throes of decision, whether to follow Jesus or not, I know it's not an easy decision. And by the way, it's not just one decision that you make. It's a daily decision. Paul said, I die daily. I surrender my life to Jesus daily. And as soon as you accept Jesus as your Savior, and even if you make a little progress in your Christian life, the old devil's going to come about and try to make you turn away. Try to put you at the other end of the Passion Week. It's not easy. It's not easy to choose to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to be willing to take up my cross and follow me. The disciples of Jesus saw Jesus crucified on the cross. They saw him beaten with a cat and nine tails, right? They saw the crown of thorns upon his head. And it came to mind, I'm sure, Jesus' words when they were watching the Son of God crucified, the one they loved crucified, that Jesus is calling me to walk in his steps. And there's always a nagging voice that tries to call us back from deciding for Jesus. It may be your religious mama, right? You know, not everybody who's religious was really on Jesus' side. Now, I'm not talking about your mama tonight. <laughs> she may be very sincere, but I, I've had a lot of people in my ministry over the years who the biggest obstacle to their Christian progress was their parents. Uh, a young couple uh, came to know Christ as their Savior recently in our church, and they were baptized, and, and they joined our church, and, and um, uh, they went home to visit uh, parents and, and uh, talk to Dad, and Dad says, why are you going to a Baptist church? You're Catholic. Why are you being baptized? You were baptized when you were infant. You didn't need to be baptized. Dad, I'm going to church. Where was I three weeks ago, right? I was going to the bar. Right? Now I'm going to church, all right? Rejoice. Sometimes there's a nagging voice that wants to draw you back. Maybe it's your hunting and fishing buddies that you, you know, go to the camp with and down a few beers, you know, and, and they're saying, ha, you're born again, huh? Uh, maybe it's someone who uh, is walking by your side in your career, trying to give you good counsel about how to get ahead in the world, and, and maybe it's not professionally prudent for you to be a Christian. But there's a, there's a silent voice inside your heart that's saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Right? It's a decision we have to make. It's not an easy decision. But God wants to take us down the right path, the path that leads to salvation, the path that leads to holiness. He wants us to walk with him. So stop and thank God. Whether you're in this tension right now, whether you're being pulled in two directions right now, stop and thank God for an opportunity to have this choice to believe in his grace. The second thing I'd like to say about this decision is there's plenty of evidence to make a clear decision to believe. 
You know, those people in Jerusalem, they had just seen a dead man raised from the grave. The Gospel of John is, is a mountain of evidence to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Point people to this Gospel. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31 says, These signs are written the signs that are recorded for us in the gospel of Jesus, so that you might believe. Find what these signs are. I'm going to mention them to you briefly. Jesus made water into wine. Jesus healed a nobleman's son. Jesus uh, made the paralyzed man who was paralyzed for 38 years to walk again. Jesus took a boy's lunch and fed a multitude. Jesus gave sight to the blind, and Jesus raised up Lazarus from the dead. And if that were not enough, when they crucified Jesus, he came out of the grave. Seven miracles here in the Gospel of John are given. These signs are given. Why? So that when you come to the place of decision, you might see the evidence and believe. And it's just as true today as it was in the day when the disciples were walking with Jesus. John is like a lawyer. He's defending the claims of Jesus. And here's the claims of Jesus. He says, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? It means Jesus Christ is able to sustain you. To sustain you through all the troubles of life. To sustain you through even death, and bring you to eternal life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You want to know what truth is? That's the big question today, right? What is truth? Jesus is the answer to that question. He is the light of the world. That's the claim of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the door of God's fold. Enter through me. Jesus says, I am. And you notice each one of these statements begins with these two words, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of God's fold. I am the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And if your shepherd is Jesus Christ, shall not want. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he was dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? I am the true vine of life. Without me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, the Spirit of God will flow through me into your life and cause you to bring forth much fruit. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. Here's Jesus' claim. I am the I am. He says, before Abraham was, I am. I am the self-existing one. I am not dependent upon anyone else for my existence. I am the eternal God. I am that I am. And when they heard that, they knew what he was saying because they took up stones to stone him. 
The evidence is the miracles that Jesus did. The claim is that he is the God of all eternity. John begins with these words in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. Jesus is eternal God. There's no shortage of evidence that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. It's not like you have to weigh and balance um, unless you're deceived, unless your eyes have been blinded by the philosophies of this world. If you, if you look reasonably and rationally at what you read in the Scriptures, you can come to no other conclusion but that Jesus is the Christ. So, that being said, what holds men back from following Christ? Well, I'll tell you what it isn't. It isn't lack of evidence. More than four independent sources, ancient sources, testified to the reality of the life of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And experts say that if you have more than one ancient, independent witness, that that's almost certain that the event that they're recording is true. But we not only have four Gospels, we have the book of Acts. We have the witness of those who saw him in the resurrection. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us a whole litany of people who saw him, Peter, Cephas, and, and the, the 11 disciples, and then the 12 disciples together, including Thomas. And, and, um, and uh, Paul says that even 500 people, many of whom you can go and ask, about their testimony today, have seen the resurrected Christ. I've seen him. It's not lack of evidence why people don't believe in Jesus. You know, it's obvious if you look at the creative universe that something powerful and with unlimited uh, strength and something that's... Uh, totally wise, had to create everything that we see around us. It's only a fool that says there's no God. It's foolish to think that all this came together just by a cosmological <laughs> a mistake. See, it's not lack of evidence. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth his handiwork. But it really comes down to this, and I'm just going to summarize my words in these two simple verses from the prophet Isaiah. One you're probably very familiar with, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. Why don't people decide for Jesus? Because they have decided for their own way. They've decided to rule their own lives. 
They've decided they're not willing to surrender to the sovereign authority of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And it's sin that keeps people from following Jesus. It's sin from, that keeps them from making a decision to walk in his steps. It's sin that causes us to step away from the grace and the goodness and the blessing that he brings our way. Now, we have gone astray from God and chosen our own way, and our ways may be much different. So it's always easier to examine someone else's way than, than to examine our own way. We're all different, aren't we? I have a foursome that I play golf with. Um, is that the second time I brought up golf in this sermon? <laughs> I'm so glad spring is here. But... Uh, I have a foursome that I play golf with, and the other day, just three of us were playing. One guy has a head cover that covers up the driver, the big wooden thing that goes in your golf bag. I'll explain for you, some of you folks that don't know. And it says socks on it. And the other guy's got a cap on, on the side it says NY. Now, I... I have no idea. They start talking. Oh, did you hear the socks? Uh, my uh, World Series winner. Blah, blah, blah. I have no idea what they're talking. I know nothing about baseball. I mean, <laughs> when I think of the Yankees, I think of Whitey Ford. I mean, that's how far back I go. We're all different, aren't we? And we express our rebellion against God in many different ways. And it's easy to point my finger over at the way my neighbor is expressing his rebellion at God and not realize that I'm doing that same rebellion in a different way. One thing that's common to us is we are willful. And really that defines sin, doesn't it? We've gone our own way. And we hold on so tightly to our independence and what we think is our rightful authority. But really, God is the one who deserves and has the rightful authority. So we should submit to him, like we were singing today. We should surrender to him. That's what we're called to do. That's why people don't believe in, in Christ. That's why they don't make a decision for him. No matter what their excuses are, those Pharisees were deciding for themselves because the evidence showed that he was truly God. Believing in Christ runs contrary to our own way. The gospel calls for us to turn from our own way and to say like Christ said, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, the other verse in the book of Isaiah that perhaps you need to meditate on is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. For our thoughts, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, says the Lord. That's just a call to make a decision. To come back to God. Now perhaps you made a decision 
to believe in Christ. And you've altered from the path that he set before you. And we all do that to some degree or another, right? We all stumble. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thank God for these verses. Thank God for the challenge that he sets before us. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. That's the decision God wants us to make. And he promises us he will have mercy upon him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. 2,000 years ago, the city of Jerusalem was drawn to a day of decision. Would they say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, or would they cry out, crucify him? For them and for us, it was an opportunity of God's grace. And we are drawn this moment to that same decision. Will we follow Jesus? Will we say yes to Christ? Will we surrender our wills to him? You know, there's no middle ground. There's no saying, well, I'm just a neutral. I'm just going uh, to be a bystander. I'm going to watch other people make their decisions. And I'm just going to sit back and kind of coast. Jesus said... If you're not with me, you're against me. And unless you're gathering in, you're scattering abroad. It's like, a, unless you're harvesting, then you're throwing the harvest away. So what do you say when Jesus comes to you like he came to the man who was born blind, made to see physically, and now was challenged to decide? Am I the Messiah? Or am I an imposter? Am I the Savior, your Savior, or am I a sinner? Jesus said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? That's what I ask you tonight. Do you believe in the Son of God? And here's what the man answered. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Our Father, we come before you tonight whether it's the first time we've ever heard the gospel or whether we've heard it time and time again, come before you tonight and we pray with thanksgiving that you've given us the opportunity once again to decide. We're not preoccupied with everything else the world distracts us with. We're here before your feet. You've called us to decide. If we're not a Christian, you've called us to decide to believe and be saved and then follow you in baptism and join the church and, and uh, unite together with God's people and serve God. If we're a believer of long standing, Lord, you know, we can be honest before you and before each other. There's many times when we are drawn aside by the temptations of the world and the flesh and Satan. And when we say yes to them, we are saying, crucify him. 
We repent of that, Lord. We're thankful for your mercy and your grace and forgiveness that's always offered to us. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we come to you deciding, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, have your way in our lives.